my name is Crispina French and promoting creative textile reuse is my jam. I'm an OG textile alchemist, worked my way through art school making ragamuffins from thrift store sweaters way back in the 1980s. That college side hustle grew into a full-fledged business and here I am today to show you how to do it too. Stick around for all the things helping to navigate both the chaotic and dreamy chapters of building your profitable textile upcycling business. We'll talk material sourcing, business savvy, product development, marketing, and self-care. Gloss over the hard parts? Not here. Experience, lessons, and know-how. Deep dive into the struggles, wins, and rewards of running your sustainable textile upcycling business. Think of this as your favorite craft class mixed with environmental business school. Are you ready to be inspired, energized, and supported? This is the Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast. Today's episode of Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast is brought to you by Sideshow Clothing on Etsy and in person in Craryville, New York. Are you a burgeoning fashion icon who delights in your individual style? Maybe you have a penchant for really good clothing, a love of creative presentation, and respect for our life-giving planet. Or if you are like me, you like to wear well-made clothing to handle your daily grind and stand up to the test of time. Sideshow Clothing has what you need. Vintage workwear, boots galore, jackets, dresses, ethnic and Western wear, the works. Mary curates this creamy collection of inventory, some dating back over a hundred years, but mostly fashions from the 1970s through the 1990s. If you want to honor the quality of well-made clothing and stand out in the crowd, check out sideshowclothing.com where you will find an anecdote to fast fashion and so much more. Hello, Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast listeners. I am super stoked to be here with you today to introduce you to a really good friend of mine. Her name is Mary Averton, and she has, I think she has the coolest vintage clothing store that I've ever been in, and I've been in a lot of vintage clothing stores. Her business is called Sideshow Vintage, and she's located in Craryville, New York. And she also has a really amazing Etsy presence, so if you're not in our neck of the woods, you can still see what we're talking about and how cool. I mean, it's just a really well curated collection of vintage clothing that is in pristine shape and um, super wearable. So welcome, Mary. Hi. Happy to be here. I'm so excited. This is so fun. You don't know, you guys, Mary and I are actually like, you know, people say, oh, we're really good friends. No, Mary and I are really good friends. We're like, we go back. We go back, I think, like, I don't know, 30 years or something right now. Pretty close. Yeah. yeah. It's getting there. It's getting very well, Time close. goes by fast, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, the um, the Sideshow Vintage uh, Clothing Boutique is um, really rocking. It's a beautiful, beautiful space. And Mary... How did you get to be, how did you develop your business? I guess is what I'm asking is like, when did you know that it was something you wanted to pursue? And then how did those steps happen? Like, how did you get started pursuing your, your business? Yeah. Um, so I, I was really good at, I, I was, a, I just always was really good at finding things 
unusual things in thrift shops and yard sales and stuff like that. And I, it was hard to leave things behind. So I kind of got into the, you know, eBay was a new thing on the scene and, and it was a, an interesting way to make some money on the side. Um, and so I started buying things to resell on eBay and I was, um, taking things to consignment shops. I was taking things to places like Buffalo exchange, um, buying and reselling there. It was like a, it became kind of a multi faceted hustle. Um, cause I would buy stuff that I knew that I could make a little bit of a profit on some things I could make a significant profit on if it was a more like hard to find either designer or vintage item. But then I started just realizing like I was really really into the vintage part, you know, um, vintage clothing, uh, just was, I don't know, just more unusual to me. So I was selling online and hustling around and consigning here and there and picking up my little checks from the consignment shops. And then I think I got burnt out from doing my other jobs at the time, my quote unquote real jobs, which were landscaping, bartending. And I really wanted to, envision not doing those jobs, not working at night anymore, not working in the food service, but, um, having a store possibly just to try it out. And, um, eventually I had the courage to try it out and I didn't stop doing all the other things I was doing. I just did that in addition. And I gave myself one year to try it out. I got a place with really cheap rent and very little bit of heat in the winter, but, um, you know, put it, put it together pretty cheaply. Um, a lot of, um, elbow grease and very little bit of, um, initial investment and just kind of hit the ground running. And, um, people really, they really do want to, they want to buy cool, funky used clothing. So that one year really went well. I, I made money every month it wasn't a ton of money, but it was definitely a profit. And then, um, and then I moved to Hudson, New York, which was really, you know, kind of up and coming. And, but there, at the time there were tons of, uh, amazing spaces available for very little money, which is, you know, hard to imagine now because it isn't anything like that anymore. And uh, right, yeah. then I opened up a big store with the heat included and, um, yeah. And then I just refined what I was doing over the years. I, I got better at buying things that I thought that people would want, you know, over time, but it's been a, it's been a big learning curve, but, um, that's one of the things that kind of blows my mind, Mary, is that, you know, so much about clothing, like, you know, where, how it was made, the, the age of it, like the history of it. And is that just stuff that you kind of picked up along the way? Yeah. Yeah, I picked it up along the way. Um, I love wearing vintage clothes. So as the, you know, I, I, I initially, I think that I, I really saw myself as a Luddite. Like when I met you, I wasn't like the kind of person who was going to get all into the internet. I didn't think, see any danger. In fact, I kind of shied away from any kind of life that involved that amount of technology, but the internet has been this great place to, you know, to buy vintage clothes. And so I, through searching for myself through eBay, which was this really amazing gateway into, um, the clothing and textile world, basically all, it's a huge marketplace for everything. Um, 
I would shop around and look, and I learned a lot from just buying and selling on eBay. So I'm buying for myself. I'm learning how to resell stuff. I'm, I'm researching what other people are saying about, you know, certain kinds of denim or t-shirts or whatever. And you just happen to glean that information if you're in a constant search for stuff. So, um, that's really how I learned. I've learned that's, that's where a bulk of, of my knowledge has come from is just, um, research and by per, through per, via purchasing and selling, um, uh-huh. so like hands on the ground, like just, you know, you were just like doing it. Like as you go, there was no like, Oh my gosh, I better learn about this stuff before I get started. Well, no, no, totally hands on in the moment, um, hit the ground running. But, you know, I think that the kind of worldview it informed me too in a certain way. Like you can start to know if you I guess there were ways when I, you're like, you're looking at where maker tags, you know, I started to look at where things were made and how they were made, right? How they were made is uh, well, things made in Taiwan versus things made in China, things made in Bangladesh. When you, you, you can, I started to notice the age of things through all this um, experiential uh, stuff with through buying and selling. And you, I could start to know the, just the general age of something by the maker tag or the fabric content tag and where it was made, you know? Um, uh-huh. And that begins to inform your perspective too on um, how to become a real vintage clothing nerd. Like, <laughs> because, yeah, like we are. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, but like most, most items like union labor, like really made super quality goods as opposed to where we're at now, where there's no indication that anybody's getting, um, compensated or properly or treated particularly well in the process. Um, so that helps you to know, like, so I can look at a shirt and go, that's not old just based on where it's made, which is, yeah. That's pretty cool. So then you, you probably see like the kind of like labor migration, right? Like over the, over the decades of like where, you know, was it made in the USA? Oh, that must be from like this time frame. Whereas like China, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, India is, are all different time frames. I mean, not completely, but generally, right? Like you can, between the label and the location, you probably have a pretty good idea of how to age it. Right. Yeah, definitely. And the trajectory. So like most of the things in my store are most are, are probably made in the USA. Um, some, a small percentage are made in the sixties and seventies when things started getting outsourced to, um, Korea and Taiwan, but they were made with like really good quality seventies, seventies and eighties, a lot of good quality clothing coming from, um, Korea and Taiwan. And then you get into, you're still getting a lot of good, um, union made stuff in the U S, um, into the eighties, but in the nineties, when they signed the NAFTA agreement, a lot of the quality didn't just, it, the quality didn't automatically tank. I mean, this is when I'm in, in middle school and high school, right? Or high school, I guess, no, I actually was high school, college age. Um, the quality of our jeans was very good, except for that the exploitation was beginning to happen on a larger scale in Mexico and Colombia, especially in the denim industry. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. 
And then it's amazing, like the history of textile manufacturing. There's so many intricacies about that you learn about different cultures and the the exploitation, which is just so rampant in the garment industry in today's world. Like just you know, it's it's the norm. It's not the um, the exception, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. So um, when you there, in addition to having this like wealth of knowledge of like clothing history and construction technique and and location. The other thing I think that is so remarkable about your business that I think our listeners will be really excited to learn more about is how you sell stuff online. I was, I just, just had a show this past weekend and people were asking me like, Oh, do you, I didn't know you still make clothing. Cause I don't sell clothing online. Cause I find it really hard to like get someone to really understand like exactly what that piece of clothing is going to be like for them. Mm. And I just know that you are successful in your presentation and people are able to kind of get a clear understanding of what you're selling. Um, and you're, so can you talk a little bit about how you, how you work that out? Yeah. Well, that's another example of like experiential stuff. So I'm shopping for clothes and I'm into one certain thing. Let's just say I get into a certain kind of clothing item that I have, uh, well, nerded out on and I want to find uh, as many of them as, of, of them as possible. So it's good for me to know my measurements as a shopper, right? So I'm looking in the vintage clothing world and I need to kind of know what my size is, right? Because I want to be successful. So through that experience of starting to buy a lot online, it, it immediately translates into how to sell online. They're very, you know, they're the same, they're the same thing, just only in, in reverse. So, um, I've had really good luck selling online by being very explicit, really succinct in the details with the measurements and any particular issues, any, um, you want full disclosure. So if you look into my Etsy shop, you may find items that have um, an issue or something, but the first thing I want to do is talk about it and, and make it very obvious that it's there. Note it and, and then have a lot of photographic evidence. So even if it's a perfect item that doesn't have any issues, um, you're going to include the measurements and, and, and just have excellent photographs. So people can see really essentially exactly what they're getting. You want them to have as much information as possible. And that helps you be more successful and accountable makes your life much easier. So then you don't have buyers who are disgruntled and, um, you have to do a lot of maneuvering at like customer service oh, kind of back and forth service. stuff. Yeah. You want to try to avoid that as much as possible <laughs> in the beginning. That's my MO is tell them everything up front and, uh, <clears throat> be generous in the information to give them yeah. a, as much or more than they think they need. Um, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, so we should take a little break, Mary. I want to come back to this, but just in case you just tuned in, we are chatting today with Mary Aberton, proprietress of Sideshow Vintage Clothing in Craryville, New York, and also on Etsy. Is it sideshowclothing.com, Mary? It is sideshowclothing.com, yes. There you go. Check her out. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. 
Today's episode of Rags to Riches podcast is brought to you by the Stitcherhood Recycling Society, my online membership community for creative textile upcycling, recycling, and reuse entrepreneurs. Inspiration, shared experience, tutorials, business savvy, and connection to a whole posse of people who understand the passion and intricacies of running an environmentally kind creative textile upcycling biz. Daily posts, weekly stitch hours, book recommendations, group chats, member profiles, and strong connections is what you can expect when you join Stitcherhood. Head on over to stitcherhood.crispina.eco and sign up for a free seven-day trial to see if my Stitcherhood Recycling Society is a good fit for you and your textile upcycling business. All right, so we're back with Mary. Um, So you were just talking about how to be really explicit with your listings when you're selling online so that people measurements and any imperfections are really like clearly documented. Right. So then once that, do you get people who like, I mean, do you, do you have to deal with a lot of returns or how does, how does that work? Yeah, it's, um, it's challenging. It's, there's always something. I have a really excellent record. Um, it's really amazing. I, I really, I'm proud of my excellent record on Etsy for selling. Like I get a lot of positive feedback um, from people because they're pretty satisfied. And I think that is because I've refined this approach, right? Don't talk too much, but say everything you must. Excellent photographs. And um, yeah, there's always somebody who gets it and they're like, oh, I didn't know. This happens more, more than anything is that people don't know their measurements. They get an item it's grossly not the right thing for them and they want to return it. And unfortunately that's, that's hard, but because between, you know, when you're selling on a platform like Etsy, you're paying fees to list day item to be prioritized in a search engine. There's this endless amounts of fees and um, it costs a, a, a seller, an independent seller, a lot of money to have to do a lot of returns. So you try to avoid that, but it's, you know, there's always something international shipping is a big drag. COVID really made everything really a little bit more intense as far as, to, you know, shipping times and everything. Um, but yeah. Yep. You get, so you get a certain level of customer service that you have to provide just because in the world of internet and feedback where people will be in a bad mood and try to ruin your reputation because they, their shirt had a, you know, pudding stain on it that you missed. Um, it happens. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's so funny. Like, you know, I just think about like some of the, I mean, I, I love my customers and like your customers love you. I feel like I just, there's like this really lovely relationship that I hold with most of the people who purchase my product. And once in a while, there's just somebody who it's just not right. It's actually just not the right fit for it's not I'm not talking about like physical fit. I'm just talking about like customer proprietor fit. Like there's just like a disconnect in communication. And I feel like that is just bound to happen. And my goal and I think yours is too. That's like you just got to be nice. You know, it's like it's like bartending or waitressing or anything else. It's like the nicer you are to people and the more. Um, you can get them what they want, the happier they're going to be. And it's like, cool. So, totally. you know, yeah. And it, with vintage stuff, I mean, it's always going to be that, right? Like it's, uh, it's, it's like, there's always going to be something that's like unexpected or, um, 
in my in my experience, it's going to be perfect, right? Because it's like that little piece of history that came along with the garment from the previous owner that I just, I kind of feel like that's part of the celebration of having a beautiful, well-preserved piece of vintage clothing. Um, yeah. But when you're charging top dollar and you have a curated selection, it's really on you to um, show up for the, the customer and provide them with all the information that they need, visual and otherwise, and stand behind it too and understand that life is filled with imperfections and especially vintage clothing. You know what I mean? Cause it's old and you don't, we do kind of, we can predict like how textiles are going to respond after a hundred years, but there's always something, you know? Um, yeah. One of the things I've learned about the internet and selling on the internet is it's just, we find like in this culture that it's very easy to be super negative because you have this anonymity that you can stand behind, but it's also really easy to be extra kind um, in these interactions because it behooves everybody, right? You're also being anonymous. So maybe you're not necessarily a syrupy, sweet customer service kind of guy, but it's very easy to do that um, to preserve your integrity um, as far as an online seller goes, you know? And if something yeah. isn't a good fit and someone's coming at you with a bunch of negativity, it's pretty easy to just also be um, extra positive and, and, and kind of like, you know what I mean? I have to yeah, and just extra kind, like human, right? Like that's what comes to my mind. It's like you know, I've had people have an issue with something, like my looms that I sell for making the pot holder rugs. They're, I think they're very easy to put together because my brain is wired for that kind of stuff, right? But they come in a box, and it's the it's the most it's the item that I sell that I get the most um, questions slash negative negativity about, mm. and. I've, I've learned to, that it's hard for some people to figure out how to put them together. So, you know, I've had people who are actually kind of angry and I say, okay, you're welcome to return that, but I'd be happy to hop on a zoom with you and like, just show you if you're interested, you know, and nine times out of 10, that humanness, that willingness to like go that extra inch, take the time out of my day to meet with them. They figure it out on their own before we even get to the zoom. Mm. You know what I mean? They are, it's like, there's, there, if there's a response that's reasonable, that's human, that's like, oh yeah, I understand you're having an issue. Let me help you. And even if I'm not feeling super, uh, you know, it's like per- people pleasing at the, at the moment, you know, I feel like it's, it, it, that's not necessarily what our, what they're looking for. They just want somebody to be there that they can ask a question of, you know, and that right. they're going to get a response from. So, yeah, so true. I think that's so true. a huge part of being a, 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 just being a respected seller online. And I don't think it even really matters what you're selling, but I feel like um, vintage clothing and one of a kind handmade upcycled clothing carry a similarity and the, uh, the unexpected kind of elements involved. So um, cool to have your input on that. I think for all of our listeners, regardless of what they're selling, um, so the other thing that I think is so cool, I, I just love your business, Mary, you know that. And I love your style. I love how, you know, you have a vintage collection that is curated, that is like, you, you. it's just like everything kind of goes together, if you will. Like, it's just, there's a, there's a, a kind of baseline of consistency and the, the quality and in the um, aesthetic and the kind of unusualness. So when you are 
collecting and curating your your store, how do how do you find these amazing pieces? Well, for many years, it was a search and a hunt constantly, and that it was like a way to satisfy that thing that some of us have, where we just love the hunt for merchandise and we love the. The, the, the pursuit of something out in the wild, right? And so for years, I did a lot of thrift shopping and a lot of flea markets and I sold at markets and I trade with other vendors and I'd buy from other vendors. And, um, and but over the years, like, I don't know, I, I got a, I had my, my one brilliant idea, which wasn't even my idea, it was someone else's idea, but it was like, you know, buying vintage at your, spe- at your store, at your physical location was just a brilliant idea to advertise that you do it because soon, not soon. What am I talking about? It wasn't soon. It took years. It took many years to cultivate the fact the point to get myself to the point where now I buy most of my merchandise at my shop and I don't spend days a week, two days a week, which are technically my days off driving around, going out to thrift shops and hoping that I find something good. I sit in my store with my, sign out front that says we buy vintage clothing and people actually just bring it in. And I look at it in the back of their cars. They bring it into the shop. I go to their homes and I look at it if they're nearby, pretty local. Um, so that's really my merchandise stream is now, um, a majority of it comes from the public who live in my, in my community actually. And wow, that is just the coolest thing. And I, I've heard stories about people coming to you who have like, dead stock clothing from wherever like can you share a little bit about maybe a couple of those people who you've been buying from <laughs> yeah i mean for us? if you were to sit in my shop for like one day you'd see various in- incidences of this it's constant and i mean it truthfully it's the my favorite part of the work is is actually interacting with the people that i'm buying stuff from even though it can be it can be an interesting interaction because if you're dealing with people um, who have lost loved ones and they're selling their their clothing and stuff like that. It can be pretty, um, well, a delicate, more of a delicate situation. You know, you kind of have to be sensitive to the fact that a lot of the vintage clothes that I'm selling, the people that were the owners or the original owners, or maybe the second owners are no longer even on this planet. But, um, well, I'm, I'm trying to think of, a um, oh, well, just the other day, this guy named Ray was on his way to the second Old Tone Festival, our, our, our favorite music festival that we love to go to. He pulls up in a minivan and he says, I got a few Western shirts in my van. Um, would you be interested in taking a look? And I said, sure. Can you bring them in? He says, it'd probably be easier if you come out. So I've got this big parking lot at my new shop. So I go outside and um, he wasn't kidding. In the back of his minivan, he had built a rail across where the path, the back seat is the middle seat. And he had about 150 Western shirts on hangers in just Western shirts on a rail in the back of his van. Oh, and my goodness. I said, well, you ain't kidding, Ray. You got a lot of Western shirts. in there." <laughs> <laughs> that's just one. That's I almost forgot about that. Um, yeah. So I think I bought about 40 shirts from him. Various wow. and ages, all they were from the sixties until the seven between the sixties and seventies. Beautiful embroidered Western snap shirts in different sizes. Some were his dad's. He he drives around and looks for them, and um, 
he loves them too, but he has too many. That's why he was selling off some of his collection. Um, so that's, just, did he know about your place or was he just like happened by, uh, I, I'm trying to recall how he knew. Oh, well at the time I had a billboard up in the front. I was advertising for the music festival and he saw the billboard and then noticed that I sell the, you know, it says we buy vintage clothing on the sign out in the, in the front. And he stopped in and he, yeah, awesome. that's just, um, one incident. I could actually go on and on. It is, um, a really interesting thing. It's, um, brings people from all over. Cause there's, there, there's always like Eleanor who has, a you know, Oh, I had this bag full of stuff that was my mother's and I don't know if it's whatever we used to use it as dress up as kids. Like that's happened to me a lot and pull out of the bag, like 1920s and thirties, um, amazing dresses or what have you. I mean, it's just a, it's a really fun and interesting part of my job. The, 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 the procurement of the merchandise is really by far my favorite part. So much easier to buy it than it is to sell it, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so cool. I, I actually, I share that with you like that, you know, when the treasure hunt comes to you and there's just like this out like treasures, like here, look at this, look at this, like, oh my goodness. Like it's just, and people know when they're coming to a store, like, I mean, not that there are stores like yours, but when people come into your shop, they can see the quality and the, you know, it's not like, it's not like anything else. Like they know, Oh, that guy knew that he was in the right spot to sell you the shirts that were his dad's, you know, like it's, there's a, there's the story that goes along. And actually that's something that I just think about so much. Like when we're buying or selling or wearing clothing that we've either made or procured through some like happenstance of magic, there's like, beautiful stories that come along with the garments right and there's yeah. so much value and connection that is created by that experience in itself right like imagine there's a large part of the population that doesn't have that they're like fast fashion shoppers that don't even realize that there's an uh, an alternative right so as um textile upcyclers we have this kind of uh opportunity slash duty to just do that educating, right? Like that, like this guy Ray's dad wore this shirt in 1960, whatever at some probably cool spot somewhere like, you know, maybe a music venue or whatever. And there's just like this level of connection that, you know, that brings together so many like you and the guy Ray and who your customer is. And that, you know, that customer is going to tell the story to other people. And it's like this, beautiful human connection. And I think that's just so super cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting the way you just put that too. It's hard to, I guess, you know, it's good to get that perspective. Like I am really like in such a a seat of privilege that does the hunt like comes to me, like the treasure hunt actually comes to me now, even though I cultivated that, I still feel incredibly privileged and fortunate to have that happen. Because that actually, um, what's the word? It um, it lessens my, it shrinks my carbon footprint. Because I used to spend two days driving around, and it was really a lot of driving. I'd drive 300 miles in two days looking for stuff in the past, and now it's hardly at all. Yeah, and yeah people are yeah. coming to me, but they're coming from my community. So yeah. anyway, thanks for like reflecting that back to me, because... It truly is like an amazing 
privileged situation to be in for me in my business. It's so cool. And you know, Mary, I think about it too, because I, I like a lot of the work I make, people donate the material, you know, it's not wearable, it's beyond being able to serve as it was originally designed. So, but it's sort of the same, like, it might be like a meaningful thing, like, oh, this was my grandpa's sweater or whatever, maybe it's got waffles, but I, and I too feel like so, so grateful to have that, um, these gifts like bestowed upon me. Right. And at the same time, I remember when I'm really thinking it through that, it is a beautiful thing, but you're also, you're providing this beautiful service to your community where, you know, that guy loves those shirts and he doesn't, he doesn't, he's not going to take them to the Goodwill or the Salvation Army. He wants somebody who's going to pass his love along with the shirts, yeah. right? And he, he knows just by walking in your store, the vibe in your store told him that that was what was going to happen here, right? So it's, it's it's a cycle. It's a circle. It's a, this, I, I just always think of this like infinite circle of wins with our, the, like what we are doing in the world. There is nothing harmful, bad or wrong with textile upcycling. It's only good. And it, it has ripples that goes out, right? Like I just, and I just, um, you know, I love that we get to share this path together. I love that we're like old dear, like super like sister friends. And I, I just, you know, we we share other friends, but our connection through this line of work is something that I just hold so sacred to me. And I just thank you so much for sharing that with me. Yeah, thank you. You turned you really inspired me at a really formative time in my life to um well, I learned a lot about really important values that I take to, to heart and I will always, um, at that time in my life when we met a long time ago, you taught me about um textiles you taught me about in being authentic fashion like basically having my own style because you had such an amazing style and an aesthetic and um Aww. i mean your house was just like a rainbow wonderland of everything you know <laughs> from the, the way the couches fell to the dishes everything was a rainbow everything was a beautiful like um tactile and and um, environmental like uh, delight you know? Oh, thanks. Mary. And I wanted all your sweaters and I wanted to own all of your, you know, every like all the recycle. I remember having my, those blazers. Um, what are they? The, the suit jackets and the vests and stuff like that, that I just felt like super lucky to have that were made out of 100% recycle. I mean, I thought that was the coolest thing in the whole wide world when I was 20, you know, I still think it is yeah. like, it was a big oh. deal. It was a very big deal to me anyway. Thank you. Yeah. I think that, um, it's just, you know, I, I, I hope that our um, our listening audience has the same connection with someone in their life that we have together. You know, it's just such a beautiful thing. And I, um, yeah, I wouldn't trade it for the world. So I'm so excited to feature you on the podcast. And if anybody out there is, um, you know, listeners, people like if it's just go to sideshowclothing.com. If that, if you're driving and you're not going to remember that, just go to the show notes page. You'll be able to keep up with Mary. There's some amazing, like, I just want to show some of the pieces, Mary, that you have collected over time. Like, I just, I'm always like, it's like a museum where you can buy stuff. 
Yeah, it's like uh, I just yeah, it's amazing. And if you're in our neck of the woods, which is um, Eastern New York State, Western Massachusetts, um, Prairieville, New York, is a just a gorgeous kind of tiny little village in the middle of a lot of beautiful agricultural land. And um, you can go visit Mary in person. Maybe you can sell her some vintage clothing while you're buying some other vintage clothing. Right. Uh, Mary, thanks so much for joining me on Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast. I am so excited to share your magic with my audience. Hey, so I'm over here and I'm serving you a giant air hug because you just finished another episode of the Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast. Thank you for being with me. Our music is provided by The Lucky Five. Learn more about them at theluckyfive.com. Our show is produced and edited by Van Valhyacin. If you want to dive in deep, head over to Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast.com.